visiting. My name's Josh, and uh, it's really great to uh, to be uh, here with you all this morning. I, I I've got to say I am a little concerned uh, when Charlie uh, Granger makes a sporting reference from the stage. I feel like it's sort of like opening Pandora's box because. Anyone who knows Graham knows that he would reach for a sporting uh, metaphor or analogy for just about anything in life. Uh, so, uh, Charlie, I don't know what you've done. Um, but, um, boom. But, yeah, we might, we might get more and more of them if that's possible. I'm actually, I think next week, speaking of sport, it's going to be a bit of a test of, of Graham's leadership here because um, the Lions are playing the Cats at the Gabba, and Graham says that he's a Lions supporter, but I've seen the way that he looks at me when I'm cheering against Geelong uh, the closer it gets to the end of the season. It'll be, it'll be interesting times. One way or another, there's going to be some sad Clarks, I think, <laughs> next week. So, um, <clears throat> uh, Graham mentioned that we, we use electionary here, and at the moment... We're kind of we've been doing this big theme of exile this year, uh, where we look at specific books that draw that theme out, and we're kind of in a bit of a transition in the middle of of a couple of those at the moment. So we looked at Jonah, which was really great. We're going on to look at Peter, but this morning we're going to take a dip into the lectionary, and I think one of the things that uh, I anticipated might happen as we looked at the theme of exile this year is that it does become a bit of a lens for which to read a. a a lot of scripture or which we can read a lot of scripture through and I think you'll find that that's the case with this morning's passage too. So if you've got your Bibles here or your phones, uh, I think it's a good thing to open up to Genesis 15 and, and to read with me. We're reading the first six verses of Genesis, Genesis 16. Uh, most of you I think will know the story. It's, it's one of those, um, it's one of those sort of narratives around which so much of the rest of scripture turns. Theologically, um, it's really key for understanding the whole of scripture. After this, it begins, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your reward will be great. Some translations might say there, your very great reward. The Hebrew can be read either way. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham, or Abram, sorry, believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So, Probably familiar territory for, for lots of us. Genesis 1 to 6. The uh, 
picture on the front of the print news. Um, one cool thing about having a photographer helping us with uh, media at the moment is she's got all these photos and that's from a trip with a friend of hers. Pretty cool seeing the stars like that, isn't it? Those long, what do they call that? Open, ex long exposure. So, um, what we read about here... Am I going to be able to... I can't change that, hey? It, thanks, Tilly. Um, is God coming to Abram? After this, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And what's going on here, if you know the story of Abram at all, is that God... Is, is, is reminding Abram of a promise that he has already made to him. So this promise uh, to be his reward, uh, that his reward would be great, that he would be his shield, his protector, isn't coming out of the blue. Um, in chapter 12 uh, of, of the same book, Genesis, we find um, God making a sort of a first promise to Abram. And it says in chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your family and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And where we pick up the story this morning in chapter 15, uh, we're actually part way through that promise coming true. For Abram, in chapter fifteen, Abram has has trusted God and he has left his world. He's left the land that he grew up in, uh, that would have been part of his inheritance. He's left his family, his tribe, his culture, and he's bravely set out, quite blindly actually, except on the promise of God to this new country that God is going to show him. So in chapter fifteen, he's there. He's in that country. But, as we'll find out, the promises that God have made him have not come completely true yet. And so God is reminding him at this moment, I have made you a promise. A promise to take you to a land where your family will be a great nation. Um, and... If we've sort of moved in Christian circles uh, for any period of time at all, we will have come to a place where we receive promises. Sometimes that can happen by quite extraordinary means where someone will come to you and have a word for you, where they'll speak something positive into your life, where they'll sort of see like a prophet into your future and say, did you know that God wants this for you? Has anyone here received a word like that that's been shaping for them? Um, if you haven't, don't sort of feel let down because scripture is full of them. It's full of the promises that God has made you, the things that he intends to come true for you, the good that he is going to do you. It says here, as you can see in Second Peter 1-4, to that he has given us a many great and precious promise. So uh, there is a whole heap of good things that God is intending for us. Uh, and um, maybe uh, you 
even if you haven't received a sort of prophetic promise from another human being's lips, have, have grasped onto or latched onto some of the promises of Scripture and they've become a sort of guiding light for your life. And I know there's mature Christians in this room who would be able to tell me like that, well, this is my promise. Perhaps your promise is from Matthew 11 where it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's a good promise, isn't it? Rest for your souls, perhaps. And uh, I've heard this one recently, and it's, it's powerful. You hold on to the promise from Isaiah 40, where it says, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths become weak and tired, and young men will fall into exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's a good one too, isn't it? A guiding light. Perhaps, uh, you know, Wayne, you're a mind reader. You're a prophet because I was just thinking I didn't arrange water. Uh, Perhaps Philippians 4 is one that comes to mind for you where it says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Just last week, or the week before, uh, Graham read for us Romans 8. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Proverbs 1. 33, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. John 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. I'm just really scraping the surface here of the promises that are yours from God that are recorded in Scripture. But the thing that often happens in our life is that we can let those promises slip. They are something to be grasped when we need them. But oftentimes our circumstances, the fickleness of our hearts, the challenges that we face mean that we can begin to doubt them or they can go out of our mind. And this, I believe, is what's happening to Abram here, because he responds to God. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, so someone who who isn't of his bloodline. The Old Testament prophet Walter Brueggemann says of this passage that Abraham is 
chagrined. Um, and I have used that word before, but I thought I'd better look it up. But it means annoyed or distressed at having been failed or humiliated. God reminds Abram of a promise made to him. And Abram's response is, that doesn't sit so well with me right now because I don't see it. I don't see it at the moment. God, sure, you've taken me to this country, but I'm in my 90s now. I think we might have missed our window of opportunity (laughs) here, God. The passage goes on. Abram to God, you have given me no offspring, so a slave is to be my heir. Abram is basically expressing a sentiment which I know sneaks into my heart occasionally. And I would imagine, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us could resonate with this. He's saying, it ends with me, so what's the point? I'm not becoming a nation. I've been led into this land, but I've got no kids to hand it on to. So, like, the land doesn't even really matter. There's no one to receive this from me. It's a dream that has died on the vine. And he's sort of responding to God in that sense, in that sentiment, saying, sure, but it it hasn't worked out that way, has it? I think it's understandable, actually, given that Abram is in his 90s now, um, and he hasn't, he and his wife hadn't had children by this point, that he would doubt the fulfilment of that promise from God. And I think it's understandable in many of our lives, in the lives of many people, that we would look at our circumstances, we would look at the challenges that stand in the way of the fulfilment of the good things that we believe that God has promised us. And we would say, it's over, actually. I once had hope for that, but we've missed our window of opportunity. That promise has died on the vine. It's something that comes quite naturally, I think, to us as human beings, given the often troubling and troubled nature of our lives, the way that we have such hope, but so often things don't turn out as we anticipate. Things go wrong. People let us down. God can seem to let us down at times. While this is an understandable, common natural sentiment, this sentiment that it ends with me, so what's the point? It's a dangerous sentiment. It's a a, a hellish and devilish sentiment, actually, to let take root in our hearts. And I want to suggest that it's actually a key ingredient in the pain and suffering that are a part of the human condition. These words are the sound of giving up, actually. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, hell was a a physical place where you could scratch graffiti onto the wall, whether you wouldn't find this written there. It ends with me, 
so what's the point? These are the sentiments that go through a person's mind when they come to the point of not wanting to live anymore. There's no point beyond me here. And of course it's a lie in that situation, isn't it? They're also the words, I believe, that sort of resonate with um, abuse. Someone coming to a point of saying, actually, I'm just going to take what I want, regardless of how it impacts people. And it was tragic in a number of ways to read this morning of the death of Jeffrey Epstein, because we see that whole spectrum there this morning, an incredibly wealthy, influential man who used his power to not only abuse young men and women himself, but to bring others into that abuse. And he hung himself in his cell last night. Because if it ends with you, well, what is the point? But, it says, the word of the Lord came to him. God does not doubt the promises that he makes. Verse 4 of chapter 15 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Abram, This man, the slave, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offering be, offspring be. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The things that God says will be, will be. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. From the very beginning of God's story in the world, he speaks reality into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault that separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And Genesis 1 goes on, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so. And so God challenges Abram, are you going to trust in your estimation of the circumstances? Are you going to trust in what you see? Or are you going to trust in the one who speaks very reality into existence? And as if to make the point, God doesn't have to do something sort of pyrotechnic and new in that moment. But he just leads Abram out of the tent and says, look, look up. Look at the sky. You get that I'm the creator of the universe, right? You get that I created all of this out of nothing. Out of barren nothingness, I created everything you can see. And a lot that you can't see, Abram. Your barrenness is not a barrier to me. And I love this passage and... And I feel like I'll have a lifetime of trying to understand exactly what it means. But it's just, it's got a poetic sort of ring to it, doesn't it? Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Eugene Peterson translates it, God declared him set right with God. So righteousness is a set right with Godness. And so I just want to um, take a few moments to, to dwell on this thing about being set right with God. Righteousness. What is set right with Godness? There's a way of thinking about set right with Godness. It's a bit of a mouthful. That is true, I think. There's a way that I have often thought about set right with Godness. That is true and yet is not the whole of the truth. Um, And it goes something like this. I'm a sinner. True, Sharon can definitely nod. She knows I'm a sinner. I mean, but, you know, if if you've been around church at all, or even if you haven't and you know Christians, (laughs) you've probably picked up on this. I'm a sinner. Christians would say that's true. I'm so caught up and corrupted by my sin that when I die... And God judges me, he will find me unworthy, based on my own merit, you know, based on who I've been in this world, in this life, because I'm a sinner. That's true, I think. But if I believe in Jesus, have faith in him, Jesus' righteousness will be credited to me. And so this kind of interesting thing will go on. There's lots of language. Some of it comes from the New Testament, uh, but there's also metaphors that people have come up with to explain it where God doesn't see my junk. He looks at Jesus and so says, Well, Jesus can be here with me. Like Jesus is up to live with me in heaven, or however you think about it, for eternity. We can dwell with one another, God and Jesus, because Jesus is perfect. And somehow I'll get in because of Jesus. That's true. You know, I mean, we can read about that in Romans. We can read about that in Hebrews. We can read about that throughout the New Testament. However, I want to suggest this morning that it's not the whole of the truth. I want to say yes and amen to that view of set right with Godness. But I also want to say that there's more. Because what that view of set right with Godness doesn't really address is what happens between now and that time when God judges me and by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, finds me acceptable to dwell with him for eternity. What do I do now? I believe that at that moment of judgment, God will see that I'm set right with him because of his son. Can I live however I want now? Does it have any effect on the here and the now, the what I do, the who I'm with? I definitely think that Abram would not have thought of set right with Godness in that way. And I don't think the writer of Genesis would have either. 
in um, the passage that I read before, we, uh, we picked up on Abram grappling with the fact that the promise that God had made him seemed not to have come to fruition yet. You know, the next moment after chapter 15, when God and Abram relate to one another, is in chapter 17. And I want to read a section of it to you. And you can uh, follow along if you've already got your Bibles open. 17 verses 1 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you, which is an agreement that keeps them in relationship, God and Abram, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. It says in verse 3, Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant, that's that relationship, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you And to your offspring after you, the land where you are now an alien, an exile maybe. All the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding and I will be their God. And if you know the story, you'll know this is the time when Sarah conceives and the promise actually becomes true to Abram. So... What's going on in this passage is that hope is not deferred until some time, you know, after we're dead. I mean, the promise made to Abram is so big that it's going to take more than just his lifetime to see it played out. But the fruit of it is beginning there in his life. And I suggest that there's a few things about set right with Godness that we can draw out of this passage. So... There's the key section. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. The first is that set right with Godness looks like real relationship, a real relationship out of which God is working his saving plan. Abram's promise wasn't just for him. But indeed, it was for all of humanity, all of the world, and for you know, the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren all the way down to now. Verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, Here I am, God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you. This is a working relationship. This is a real world relationship. Yes, there will be a judgment day where we will sort of finalise your set right with Godness, but it has an impact here and now because, Abram, there is something that I am doing in the world that you are a part of. 
there is covenant, there is relationship with a purpose, there is mutual commitment. The second thing, and this really dovetails nicely with where Charlie's taken us already this morning, but there is real identity as new creation. You pick up on the way that the word of God comes into this story. He is speaking reality into existence and he's also referencing the fact that that's what he does. He is the creator who created the universe by his word. And here he says to Abram, no longer shall you be Abram, but you shall be Abraham, which means the father of a multitude of nations. God, as the creator, as the one who set the stars in the sky, it's perfectly within his power to do these things, to fulfil these promises in our lives. And that's what he's doing here. He's going, actually, I am doing Genesis again for you, Abram. I'm conferring a new identity on you in which my creative power, my power to bring about the things that I have guaranteed, promised you that I will bring, even in the face of circumstance, is beginning to outwork itself. Challengingly, in verse 1, blamelessness is not off the table. Now, we don't have time to kind of explore that theologically, but it's worth saying that blamelessness is not off the table. God says, walk before me, and be blameless. That is the expectation and the standard of someone who is in that relationship with God. So it's not something that we can shelve until we're in heaven and God sort of tallies up, oh, you didn't quite make it in. I'm going to have to lean into the or set right with Godness because of Jesus. God, the work that God is doing in the world is perfect and he would draw us into that. Now, do we always live up to it? Definitely not. And that's another story. But God doesn't compromise on his standards. And so we should not accept the gift of being set right with God and kind of think, well, actually, that's an excuse to just live how I want to live. That set right with Godness, remember, is rooted in the covenant relationship, in the work that God is doing in the world. So as we are a part of that work, as we are taking that identity on that he wants to give us, we are engaged in the good things that he is doing in the world. And then finally, the reward for Abram is real. The promise that God made him and Sarah becomes true. They conceive and have a child, and the dream of a nation comes to reality. Verse 8 says, And I will give you and your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan, for a perpetual holding, and I will be their God. Sherilyn and I don't uh, get out heaps at this stage of our our life, and um, as much as we love uh, cinema, we don't get to the cinema. Uh, We hardly even get to watch movies, but we did watch one uh, this weekend, uh, which, if you haven't seen it, is on SBS On Demand, which means you can can watch it for free and it's you you shouldn't find too much that will scandalise you there. Um, But Tilly's going to, in a moment, just play a clip from this movie that uh, Sharilyn and I watched. And uh, it's called Lion. 
Um, I'm sure many of you have seen it because it was a big hit a couple of years ago and it's got an Australian connection. It tells the story of this five-year-old boy, Saru, who lives in rural India. It's a true story. And he goes with his older brother because he just wants to be a big boy, you know, he just wants to be, to make a contribution. He goes with his older brother against their pattern, against their habit, because he's too little really, to the railway station um, to try and help his brother do some work and make some money for their household. And as his brother's sorting the details out, um, Saru's just so tired. He says, lie down here, his big brother, on, on the platform and I'll come and get you and I've sorted it out. And it's, it's uh, heart-wrenching from the very <laughs> beginning, this movie, where his brother doesn't come back. And so, seeking some sort of shelter, he climbs on a, an empty train that's on the platform there and he ends up falling asleep in the train and he wakes up until he's going to... Uh, Bring us into it.
Thanks, Tilly. I might get the band um, to come up. So Saru ends up thousands of kilometres from home. He's too young to know the, the name of the village that he's from. He doesn't even know um, his mother's full name. And he's at this busy railway uh, interchange. Doesn't speak the language of the busy city that he finds himself in. And if you track with his story, there, he comes across people um, who want to take advantage of him. Uh, many who are indifferent to his situation. The odd person who shows kindness and cares. You know, and I think relative to the themes that we've been exploring about exile, it occurred to me as I was watching that film that uh, there's something of the human condition actually in the situation that Saru finds himself in. Many, many people feeling as though they're on a train that they can't get off. Hurtling away from home. From safety, from security. So much danger in the world. So many people have hit rock bottom and believe that there's nothing more than themselves who are, you know, predators. A writer from the New Testament picks up the passage that we've looked at this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command by his word. So that what is seen was made out of what was not visible. What is, but what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abram, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not like where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. And by faith, even Sarah, who was but past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. It goes on. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive all of the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, a place or a home. He is at rightness with them. You know, and there is a sense in which we're all on that train, hurtling away from God. But when we believe the promises of God to be true, 
we can have assurance that we will find our way home. And so we become those people who greet that future and we point others to it. Others who are lost, who are trapped. And that's our work. We see and greet the promises. We're on the way to a better country. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission.